Welcome to Truth Pod, the podcast that proclaims the truth of God's Word without shame or apprehension, where the Bible is the last word on any subject. I'm Russell, your host. Welcome back to Truth Pod. I'm glad that you listen to this podcast. I will take all the listeners I can get. It is my prayer that you find something in these studies that will encourage you to draw closer to Jesus. So how are all those New Year's resolutions going? 38.5% of U.S. adults set New Year's resolutions every year. 59% of young adults 18 to 34 have New Year's resolutions, which makes it the largest demographic that sets these goals. 48% 48% wants or want to exercise more, making it the most popular New Year's resolution. The top three are all health-related. 23% quit in the first week, and only 36% make it past the first month. 9% successfully to keep their New Year's resolutions. So why do people make New Year's resolutions? I think it's because they recognize that they need a change in their lives. And if they make it goal-oriented, they'll have a better chance at success. Whatever the results of your New Year's resolution, whether you're still going on strong or you gave up on that idea weeks ago, just remember this. There's always next year. (laughs) If you can, please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy. Uh, Thank you for everything you do for us, Father. Thank you for the cross, for what Jesus did at the cross and paying for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for suffering in our stead. Thank you that my sins are forgiven because of Jesus. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Father, I pray your blessings now upon this study. I pray your blessings be upon those who listen. In Jesus' holy name, amen. The last time you listened to Truth Pod, I concluded my series, The Best News Ever. We can all learn a lot by what the disciples went through after the crucifixion. We also talked about how we're not all that different from them after all. Now with this episode, I'm starting a new series called Questions. Not all that exciting, I know, but people never cease to have questions. In my 40 Four years of being a Christian, people have always had questions. Some simple and easy to answer. Others can be more difficult and require a brighter mind than mine. Here are a few example of questions I've been asked. What kind of God would let his son die on a cross? The person asked with a certain amount of cynicism. The next question Asked with more humility, Dad, do you think that God had a plan for that baby that was aborted? The first question I answered quickly and with no trouble whatsoever. The second one, I'm still contemplating in my mind. Now, I am not a know-it-all. I will no doubt depend heavily on other resources to help me find the answers to the questions that I talk about, but my number one resource will be the Bible. What does the Bible say about it? That should be what matters most, or matters most to all of us. 
My first study in this series has to do with prayer, and the question is, why pray? I think everyone prays at one time or another, some more often than others. Some people don't believe in prayer until something tragic happens in their lives. You know what I mean. They don't think about God until their marriage is falling apart, or the physician has given them the bad news they have cancer. So people pray for various reasons. Not everyone does so in faith or with the right intentions, but we all pray it one time or another. Barna Research reports these prayer statistics and says slightly more than four out of five adults in the U.S., that's 84%, claim they have prayed in the past week. That has been the case since Barna began tracking the frequency of prayer in 1993. Think about this question. If we believe that God is sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful, and that he is a good father who knows all our needs, then why bother to pray? Isn't praying to God then a waste of time? Now this is an open-ended question, meaning there are a lot of answers and probably just about anyone you ask may have an answer. So I will just try to keep it simple. Let's look at some scripture. Matthew uh, <clears throat> verses, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13 in the English Standard Version says this, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in, in the synagogues, and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus delivered a sermon on the Mount called, or the Mount of Olives called the Sermon on the Mount. In this sermon, he talked about what we call kingdom living. And it is here we learn some valuable lessons on prayer. One, why pray? Because we are expected to pray. Jesus mentioned three times in this sermon the words, when you pray. So it is almost like it is taken for granted that we will pray, or that we do pray. The people who lived in Jesus' day had very poor examples when it came to prayer. He even called them hypocrites. Very strong language, calling their spiritual leaders hypocrites, did not make him a favorable person in their eyes. He had two charges against their prayers. First, they love to perform in front of people. 
Okay? They drew attention to themselves on the purpose to be seen by other people. Now, you know these kind of people. And when they pray, they will go into the King James language. And they will be, Oh, thou God of the Most High, and, you know, and, you know, all that raineth down on us, blessings after blessings, and, you know, all of, you know, great big words, okay, it, it becomes theatrical, it, it is like it's theatrical, it's, it's a, you know, they've like warped back in time, you know, to the 1600s when the King James Bible was written, the thou, you know, and favorest us, and savest thou us, and now listen, I don't have a problem with King James. I don't. I like King James Bible. I was raised on the King James Bible. I do believe that God, um, he understands King James language as well as modern language. But when you're praying in public, you know, it, it's not to be some type of scene, uh, some type of um, spectator event for people, you know, um, it is to be between you and God, it is to be a treasured things, a treasured uh, thing to take place, and not just, you know, you know, something that's on display, anyway, anyway, let me, let me move on, um, second, they love to make long speeches, properly displaying their intelligence for all the world to see. After all, they spent years getting their education, and they wanted everyone to see it. They were quite skilled in Scripture. They knew the, the, the uh, Holy Scriptures. Uh, from They had from Genesis to probably Malachi at this time. Um, and so they would know the law and they especially focused on the law and they taught it so that everyone, you know, could see how intelligent they were, how educated they were, how bright they were. And matter of fact, they would even interject that we know the law, you don't know the law. The, the idea is there is because they're superior in their education. So these were two charges that Jesus had brought against their spiritual leaders. They had very poor uh, examples of, of prayer in their life in their lives at that time from their spiritual leaders. Now let me say there's nothing wrong with education. Okay, don't get me wrong. Okay, so there's nothing wrong with it. Nowhere in Scripture is it ever condemned. Education's a good thing. It is a good thing when it's used properly. But when it comes to prayer, it is not intended for an audience or to, to impress anyone. Okay? Also, we all make mistakes. We all do it. At, from time to time, we try to impress people. So we can cut ourselves some slack there too, okay? When you pray, you and I would do well to realize that he not, is not only talking to his disciples and the audience of his day, but he's speaking to everyone who prays. 
when you pray. So do you pray? I'm not talking about waiting till your world is crashing in around you or just doing it on Sunday morning when, you know, with everyone else at church or the meal has been prepared and, you know, they call on somebody to pray. Do you pray? Did you know that you're given the privilege to talk to the God of the universe anytime you wish? And it is expected of you to do so. You, sitting there listening, you just turned on the podcast and you've been listening for a few minutes, you're expected to pray. And you've been granted an audience with the God of the universe. You can come before him. You can ask him any question that's on your mind and heart. You can talk, dialogue with him, talk to him, express your heart to him, and he will listen. He will listen. All right. Now consider this. If you want to see the governor of your state, you would likely have to go through a lot of red tape a lot of background checks, only to be told he's too busy to see you. Be sure to vote next time. Thinking about that, your chances of talking to the President of the United States is even less than that. We are just not that important to the government. But there is someone who invites you into his presence every single day of your life. And as much as you want to, I mean, you can spend from sunrise to sunset talking with him. You can. It's amazing, you know. Not only are you invited, but unlike anyone else who will you will ever call on, you can even bring all of your mess with you. You can bring all of your mess with you. So why pray? Because we're expected to pray. Second, why pray? Because we are rewarded. Have you ever tried to talk someone, or have you ever tried to talk to someone wanting to share with them the cares that are weighing on your heart, and they spend their time looking at their, their phone all the while saying, uh-huh, uh-huh. You might be in the same room as they are, but not really. They are nowhere near you. Their heart is far from you. God used these words when he spoke to the children of Israel when they were questioning why their prayers weren't answered. Matthew 15, 8-9 says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments, of men. Jesus said, when you pray, do so privately. Get away by yourself. In doing so, you are not tempted to try and impress anyone or to use fancy words so people will know how intelligent you are. Okay, so that's, he's saying, this is how you settle the impression issue. This is how you settle that, that issue of being seen, you know, you just get away to yourself. Talk with God by yourself. Jesus also intimated to us that when we, when we steal away and pray and talk to God privately, he will reward us. 
Listen to something else Jesus said about when you pray. John 15 and 7 in the NIV says this, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now he's talking about a relationship here. Remaining in him means to stay close to him. Having his word in us will help us know how to pray. Now, he's not like that slot machine. A lot of people think that Jesus is like that slot machine. You go up and you pull the arm. Now, baby, give me, give me, give me, give me, you know. And But he's not like that. He's a friend. He's God, okay. Above all, he is God. He is Savior. He's Redeemer. He's Lord of all creation. And uh, it is a privilege for you and I to enter his presence. Okay, and we can ask, we can ask what we need. That's, you know, that is something he is, you know, do you need healing? You can ask for healing. Do you need encouragement? You can ask for encouragement. Do you need joy? You can ask for it. If things are a mess in your life, you can pray about those things in his presence. Okay. He says, if you call upon me, I will answer. I will answer. We have needs. And as long as you and I have breath in our bodies, we will always have needs. I mean, that's just, that's a given, right? We need food. We need clothing. We need relationships. We need love. We need people who will care about us. We need um a job, we need homes, we need, you know, there's just so many, many, many needs. We all have needs. He says, bring that all to me. Bring that all to me. Our problem of not receiving from the Lord when we pray is we're full already. We have too much. Or we try to meet our own needs, so we just go through formality. You know, that's our problem. In the day that Jesus lived, they were living hand to mouth. They hardly had anything to eat. They could not sit down to a three-course meal like you and I, you know. They could not go out to a fancy, well, if they did have restaurants, they could not afford to go to those places, you know, and I'm sure they did have their taverns. But they could not afford many of the people that he is talking to in this crowd were poor and destitute. You know, they were they were just eking by, you know, as far as a living. They weren't like you and I. I mean, as far as I can go and open up the refrigerator right now, and pull out something to eat and, uh, you know, and enjoy a meal. But they couldn't do that in his day. They needed clothing. They needed food. They, some even needed a house to live in. They didn't have those things. So he was speaking right to their needs. And he was talking about what real needs are. Like I said, our problem is we're full already. You know, taking your hand, taking your hand and hold a ball in your hand and then try to put other things in your hand. You can't do it. You can't do it because your hand is full. So the idea is, is we need, those needs are good for us because they help us to call upon him and he's the one who can fill them. And when, and 
we also understand that he is the one that did fill it, fill the need in our lives. His word reminds us that it's not about you and I. It reminds us he's on the throne, not you and I. It reminds us prayer is for our benefit, not his. See, we, we, we get that mixed up. We think it's, you know, we're doing God a favor if I go and I pray for five minutes. You know, I'm doing God a, a favor. I, if I grace a church and I go into church, I'm doing God a favor. Well, no, we're not. We're doing ourselves a favor. His word reminds us that he knows all of our needs. He does not look at them as being small or petty, but like any loving father, he wants us to ask him. Listen to these very familiar words in Matthew 7, 7 through 11. says this, Ask, and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Wow. Wow. That's just, you know, they they had never had insight into the, the heart of God like this. In, in their time from their religious leaders. But Jesus was giving them insight into the heart of God. God loves to give good gifts to those who ask him. So in answer to the question about God knowing everything and then why do we have to pray, maybe this is too simplistic for some, but God is not the one in need. We are. He is not obligated to just hand out blessings because there are needs. He can if he so chooses. Jesus said, ask. This takes humility on our part. Knowing that we have a dependence on him because he is greater than we are, we should look to him as a source for all of our needs. We need to be seeking God. The ball is in our court. It is our responsibility to seek him. Seek him for guidance. Seek him for his will. Seek him for his favor. Next, he tells us to knock. The idea behind each of these duties of ours is that they are a continual process. In other words, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. If you don't get the answer the first time, keep on, keep on at it. Next, Jesus talks about the fatherhood of God in comparison to our earthly fathers. Now, he's looking into the eyes of Jewish men who love their children and long to meet all their needs. And he says, if you, being fallen, sinful men, work hard to meet all the needs of your family, how much more would your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Finally, about being rewarded, if we pray just to get things from God, we'll miss out on the greatest reward of all and getting to know the true and living God on a personal basis. If you want a fulfilling prayer life, stop seeking the gift and seek the giver. Next, why pray? Because we have a great example. Jesus said, pray like this. You know, when you want to learn a new skill, often 
you'll seek out someone to teach you, and usually they will say something like this. Just do it like this, you know. I see um, many times if I want to learn something, how to uh, take something apart, how to get something accomplished, uh, you know, I look it up on YouTube. <laughs> That's uh, It's a common thing, you know, now. But the idea is that somebody who knows how to do it, let's, let's use, for example, uh, you don't know how to take a doorknob apart, okay, on, in, on your door. You want to change it out. You want to put a door on that's lock, you know, that you could that can lock. And the door you currently, or the knob you have on it currently doesn't. Put in YouTube, look it up, show you exactly how to do it. Or you have a friend, you say, hey, can you show me how to do this or help me do this? And they can show you how to do it. So that's the idea of prayer. We can never have a better example than Jesus when it comes to prayer. He knew how to talk to the Heavenly Father. And following his example would be most advantageous to us getting our prayers answered. You know, the idea is we got to do it. We got to pray. We got to pray. Because if we don't, we're losing out in relationship. That's the greatest reward of all is that relationship with God that fellowship with God. That's the greatest thing about prayer is the relationship, you know. Can you imagine, now I've been married for 31 years. Can you imagine me not talking to my wife, but only talking to her when I wanted something? Boy, that relationship would have ended a long time ago. It would have ended, you know. Uh, a long time ago, because, you know, it's more than getting the things I want from her. It's a relationship of getting to know her, what she likes, you know, what does she enjoy, um, and all of this, this, you know, what, what makes her tick, you know, so on and so forth. I'm still working on those things, okay, so, all right, just, yeah, just letting you say in closing, let me read that prayer again. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but actually it's an example prayer for us. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. There are a lot of answers to the question, why pray? This study is by no means exhaustive, so take some time and search for some of those answers yourself. If you use the Bible as your format, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Next week, more questions. Let me end this podcast by asking you this question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? If not, you can. He loves you and wants you to be a part of his family. The first thing for you to do is admit you're a sinner. 
and you cannot save yourself. Second, believe that he died for you and ask him to forgive your sins. Third, thank him for saving you and commit to living the rest of your life for him. If you have any questions or prayer requests, just email me at truthpod at yahoo.com.